This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Are you ready to start Christmas shopping? Okay, I know it's before Halloween, but the experts are telling us to start early because of supply chain shortages. And have you budgeted how much you are going to spend? A couple of surveys show a fairly big increase from that department, at least from last year when more of us were stuck at home, and it makes sense. Some people have been hit very hard by the pandemic, and others have saved a whole lot of cash, mostly staying home. So the estimates vary. According to the Retail Council of Canada, Ontario shoppers will spend an average of $863. PricewaterhouseCoopers puts that number higher at an average of $1,420. But of course, it depends what kind of an income bracket you're in. Now, what they both agree on is a big increase, probably on the order of 30% from last year, and also a return to bricks and mortar. And, you know, convenient as it may seem, I, for one, am getting sick of the cycle of ordering something you really need to try on, finding it doesn't fit, and then returning it. Um, Not that going to the store means that you'll necessarily find stock. So what do you think? Are you going back to the mall? Are you looking forward to that? Are you looking forward to spending the holiday with your family as opposed to what we did last year? The numbers to call. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Diane Brisebois, President and CEO of the Retail Council of Canada, Miles Gooding, Partner of Global Consumer Markets at Price Waterhouse Coopers, and Nadine Devreux-Yaculo, the co-owner of Capo Salerno Italian Fashion in Toronto. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. Hello. Hello. Let's begin with Deanne, who I probably haven't talked to for years. Hello, Deanne. Hey, Livia, how are you? I'm fine. So um, what do you make of of the results of your survey? Uh, Looks like there might be some good news for retailers. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think uh, Miles would uh, echo the same sentiments. We're we're seeing consumers uh, needing to get out to shop and with less restrictions this year we're seeing an increase in traffic in stores or certainly their intentions to shop in store that doesn't mean online shopping will be diminished but it certainly means that retailers can expect and we we're hearing it already are seeing more people going into the stores so it's very encouraging for many of the retailers who had a very very tough tough year, and in some cases, a tough 18 months. Miles, uh, your average, it's really high, over $1,400. Is, is it, what's behind that? Yeah, I think there's uh, probably a couple things, and, uh, you know, uh, I agree with Diane. Is we're definitely already seeing an, an increase in physical traffic into our stores. Um, the, the two things that are really um, there are, uh, what I would call a demand-fueled recovery, uh, which is really pent-up demand of uh, Canadians kind of sitting in uh, in their houses, uh, doing their own cooking, maybe doing some takeout, uh, and really wanting to get out um, and spend some money. And um, when you look at the uh, you know the average number that we've posted, a lot of that is driven by those uh, having an income earning of uh, 60k or higher. Uh, a lot of that is uh, driven, by, again, by, you know, larger savings, lo- lots of pent-up demand, uh, and an ability to spend. And we're already seeing that today with sold-out sports venues and uh, concerts and 
the like as we start to see that open up here in, in, in Ontario. Uh, Nadine, mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be good news for you, but I don't know. You, you're in the fashion business. Mm-hmm. I don't know where fashion is at. Last year, everybody was wearing lounge suits. Uh, you know, I don't know how quick how people are to get back into real clothes and, and uh, what you think will be happening in your store. Yeah, no, I mean, and you're absolutely right about last year. It was, uh, as you know, <laughs> when we spoke, Livy, it was a devastating blow to our business um, for the people's life and social aspects. Um, everything came to such a crawl, and basically with the retailers, it just kind of stopped. Even if we had online, it just wasn't the same. Um, yeah. We had to go into the cozy collection and, and uh, adjust a little bit, um, but you know, now, yeah, I'm in a bit of a shift. I'm seeing that there are people, like they were saying earlier, too, uh, just sick and tired of sitting at home and cooking their own meals and wearing pajamas all day long. I think people are, <laughs> no, but it's true. I think people are ready to get back out there and um, safely socialize and, and shop again. And and it, it, retail is therapy. It's a it's a sense of therapy, right? For a lot of people to get out and to buy something new and to feel good, uh, just like going to the salon and getting your nails done. So, um, I'm I'm positive that there will be a shift. Uh, we have to be positive at this point. There's no other way. We can't look back. Uh, on a fashion note, I have to say this: this is a new outfit I bought. Not that I ever mm-hmm. wore lounge pants because I've been to work every day, but they seem to be uh, in part replaced with knit pants. I just bought an outfit that has knit pants, <laughs> which are like elasticized waist. So I guess uh, it's like training clothes. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it is kind of like that. We brought in pieces very similar to that concept for the men. Um, they were what I would say you can sit at home and sleep on your lunch break and then get back into the desk and work. And if you have to stand up, you look professional. And if you have to go out for a meeting, you can still wear them and be comfortable. They were very versatile. And I think that's a huge shift is that people, they want to be comfortable going back to the office, but um, with that being said, we're actually uh, we're actually getting an increase again in suits and and such, and that's because of weddings. A lot of the the social aspect is coming back. People are able to um, have their weddings again. They're able to go to a wedding. They're able to even go to a, a social event where they want to get dressed up. I feel like being a year and a half of stuck at home, people they have the desire to want to also get dressed up again because you feel good when you get dressed up. Um, Deanne, how much of this more spending, I mean, people, you know, maybe celebrating with their families for the first time in a long time. So how much of it is kind of driven by that social need, do you think? By the social need. And it's also driven by pent-up demand as Miles was uh, was addressing a moment ago. So there's absolutely no question, you know, Libby, when you remember last year, especially in Ontario, um, the message from government was stay at home. The message from government was also stay within your own bubble. And so there were people were not going out. They weren't celebrating with bigger groups. And so... The moment those restrictions were lifted, we we saw a lift immediately. And when we uh, interviewed consumers, it was for two things. One, they wanted to refresh their wardrobe or buy things they were thinking about buying but couldn't. And two, they just wanted to socialize it. They wanted to see things, touch things, see people. So it's a combination of all of those that's allowing us to be very optimistic for the holiday season. Miles, uh, in general, you know, um, over and above the pandemic, we've we've been told for years, you know, bricks and mortar retail is going the way of the dodo bird. It's all going to be online. Is is there um, a real reaction against uh, so much online shopping? I wouldn't say it's uh, as much as a, of a negative reaction on online shopping, but I think what it does prove, especially as we're watching people 
uh, come back and uh, want the physical experiences. Uh, and even direct-to-consumer um, online companies are recognizing this because they're opening brick-and-mortar uh, locations is that people want an experience when they go out and they um, uh, shop and dry and get that connection. So uh, this is really the big takeaway for the retail industry is uh, it's really about the experience and how you're going to be able to seamlessly uh, create that uh, for your customer, whether they're online or offline. And, uh, you know, offline and brick and mortar, it, it's here to stay. It's uh it's going to shift, it's going to adjust, it's going to evolve, but uh, it's definitely here to stay. It's not, uh, we, we definitely wouldn't put that in the uh, uh, class of the dodo bird. It, well, I, I mean, you know, I, I was talking to a colleague yesterday and he told me literally that his wife orders eight pairs of shoes at a time. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of money on your credit card and then return seven. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to vent. I'm trying to buy winter boots. It's so hard. And even if you go to a store, they might have, they'll have a size eight, but they won't have an eight and a half. You know, <laughs> I mean, why are retailers, even when they're open, they, they don't seem to be keen on carrying stock? Deanne? Well, it's not that they're not keen on carrying stock, but <laughs> there are two realities. One is they have they they started coming out of the pandemic uh, during the recovery with a lot less cash, so they could spend a limited amount on inventory. So that's I'm generalizing here, but if you're talking about small and mid retailers in particular, and two, it's also because we do have in Canada and around the world, uh, an issue with supply chain, meaning trying to get the merchandise. And so the retailers are trying to balance both. I'm talking mostly in brick and mortar, but that also includes e-commerce. So there lies the challenge, really. I mean, they they would want to carry everything, Libby, but uh, there are some challenges at this time. One is cash. One is uh, accessibility to that merchandise. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've had an experience of being in a store and they don't have the size and they'll order it for you online, which uh, I don't know. Uh, Nadine, are you doing special things to try to bring your customers in and give them that experience? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, we've always, we've always really tried to make our customers feel uh, ultra special. Um, our customers are, uh, they come in, we, we try to service them, uh, as quick as we can, first of all, and, um, efficiently. So we offer tailoring, for example. One thing with the tailoring that we offer, we don't charge for our pieces. So anything that you get from us, it's, uh, it's all included in the price. There's no additional tailoring charges. And we try to have it as a turnaround within five days. Um, as far as like product, yeah, it is quite difficult to get certain pieces. Um, you know, you might think that you can get an order in and then, you know, it's just not available. But, um, you know, we, we are looking at trying to provide our clients with the essentials that they need uh, and a, a decent amount of selection, you know, a nice selection of pieces that uh, that they can use either you know, a mix of being either at work or at home and uh, even even in a leisure situation. So we're trying to just streamline everything, uh, make the shopping experience as seamless as possible with the clients themselves, and, you know, get them in and out and have them have an enjoyable experience. Because I think at the end of the day, when you're at home and you're, you're you know, pent up for so long, going into a retail location, uh, there's a little bit of anxiety. There's uh, a little bit of a need just to even socialize and talk with, with people other than your, who was within your bubble. So, you know, we really try to give them a nice full experience where when they leave, they say, oh, geez, you know, this was so nice. I, I, I feel like this is what I've needed for so long just to get out and have an experience where I'm not being, you know, forced to buy something, but I'm enjoying what I'm getting. I'm getting uh, an item that I can use for multiple occasions. And, you know, you're going to turn around and do the tailoring, not charge me and get it back to me as soon as you possibly can. So they leave feeling relieved 
because uh, I think that's what's important right now is to to give the customer everything that they need with um, with the ability to just feel like that they're shopping from the comfort of their home, but being able to be out and in public and in a safe and enjoyable environment. Okay. I'd like to give the numbers out again. So people, I'm curious, um, have you gone back to the mall or to your neighborhood store, or are you planning on doing that? Are you planning on spending more for Christmas this year? Um, One of the interesting things in in the PricewaterhouseCoopers survey is that millennials are going to be the biggest spenders. But uh, if you have millennials in your life, are you buying stuff for them. And, you know, apropos of uh, what Nadine's been saying, you know, one of the things that came out during the pandemic is that all of these very casual kinds of interactions, you know, if you go to the bakery to buy a bread, um, or if, if you go to a store to buy something, a gift for someone, that those kinds of interactions are more important for our well-being and for our mental health than we probably realized. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that's one of the reasons people might be going back um, to uh, uh, bricks and mortar to get that kind of uh, social interaction. You know, hi, how are you doing? So let me give the numbers out again, 416-360-0740. Toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. So I'd like to know: Are you getting out to shop? Also, um, we've been told that we have to shop early, or things are going to run out. We know about a big, uh, a big shortage of chips. So, uh, Miles, uh, you know, a lot of people get the latest electronic gadgets for Christmas. Uh, iPhone, so is it going to be harder to get those? There may be instances in which it may be a bit difficult. Uh, the chip shortage has been going on uh, for quite some time, and uh, you know, production around electronic devices and even larger appliances like washers, dryers, and refrigerators, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, are all go- are all taking a bit of a hit. Uh, you know, in terms of being able to provide the right supply out there for uh, for customers wanting those items, so. Uh, those are items that uh, you probably want to start looking at uh, today if you're looking at targeting a, uh, a holiday uh, uh, surprise under the tree. Okay. And Nadine, is there anything that you're telling your customers they have to uh, snag before someone else does? Well, um, I mean, we've always kind of had a, a, a business model where what we do is we really bring in limited selection. So we have almost a one of a kind pieces. So they've always had that sense of urgency with us. But uh but I'll be honest, Libby we're 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 stocked and we're ready. We already have clients that are coming in and they're, you know, looking at and well they are actually buying uh Christmas gifts. Now they're buying um holiday gifts, they're buying um gift presents, whatever it might be. But the shopping is it is starting. I do see a little bit of an increase, especially compared to last year, but I'm seeing a little bit of an increase as well with people coming out and looking to get these items. Um, I'm going to say that I want to be positive and uh, and we're well ready for the season. So, you know, hopefully things just keep going on the up and up like they are and we will have stock and we'll be uh, able to provide whatever our clients need for them. And if, you know, if it's not possible, then we'll have an alternate option that's going to be just as wonderful because I think it's time to just, you know, stay positive throughout this and, you know, the end of this pandemic, as I'm hoping it's going to just, you know, fade out and we're going to come out stronger than before. Okay. Uh, we are uh, basically out of time. So, uh, Miles, what would you like to leave us with? Go out and have fun and reconnect and uh, have a good uh, holiday season. I mean, this is uh, this is the time to get out and uh, reconnect and, uh, and shop. Uh, and even though there might be some things that you don't find, there's going to be some things that you do find. And I think it'll be a good Christmas overall. And Deanne, what would you like to leave us with? Yeah, I would echo Miles' comments and tell people to uh, enjoy the interaction and uh, discover new brands, new products, stay within budget, 
uh, be safe, uh, and be patient, uh, because they, it will be busy. Uh, but at the end of the day, enjoy the holiday season. Uh, it's a great time, and finally, we can get out and start saying hi to people in person. And uh, Nadine's been telling us that she is stocked and ready, so Nadine, uh, hope that you will be very busy as well. And um, thank you, Nadine Devruyakulo, yeah. Diane so Brisebois, and Miles Gooding. Thanks a lot. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you, Bye-bye. and be safe, everybody. Yes, yes, well. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, what is happening with all the vaccine mandates we've been talking about, we've been hearing about. We've got some healthcare workers in court today to fight it. We've got the TTC cutting back on routes because of unvaccinated employees. So what is going on with that? We're going to talk about that when we come back. And what do you think? The numbers to call 416 toll free one 740 You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We have talked a great deal about vaccine mandates and 80 percent of us are in favor, but it seems that the minority of anti-vaxxers, vaccine hesitant, whatever, are successfully throwing a wrench in some of the plans to enforce these mandates. So Quebec is backing off the requirement for healthcare workers to be vaccinated. They're saying the pandemic is waning, no need. You know, to me, the very idea of healthcare workers who don't believe in vaccination is mind-boggling. And here at home, uh, the case of unvaccinated workers challenging UHN's COVID-19 mandate is in court today. Uh, they were supposed to be terminated as of uh, next Monday, October 22nd. No, last Monday. Sorry, I am behind the times. If they uh, did not get with the program, there has been an injunction on that. They're in court today. And the TTC. Uh, we had a very vocal opposition from their main union, and now they're preparing to cut roots as their vaccine mandate goes into effect. And uh, they have compliance, I think, by around 90% of their workers, but uh, 10, 12% of TTC workers is still several thousand. So uh, those of you take the TTC, some of your roots may be cut back. And the Conservative Party. Well, they finally said, yes, okay, they'll comply. MPs going into the House will be vaccinated, but they're going to fight that. They're going to fight that order. And, uh, um, yeah, um, now this, I, I find this difficult because, you know, most every commentator that I talked to after the election said that uh, Aaron O'Toole's refusal to be really strongly in favor of vaccine mandates and the whole issue was one of the things that cost him. So I don't know. What do you think? 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to John McEtitian, who is a conservative strategist and president of Bradgate Research Group and Bob, Bob Richardson, who's a liberal strategist and senior counsel to national public relations. Hey, guys. Hi, Levy. Happy to be with you. Okay, let us begin with Bob. So um, am, am I kind of uh, reading this right, that the, the, you know, the court challenges, the other challenges have begun, and, and yeah. you know, even though these minorities are small, they, they may be wrecking it for the rest of us. Well, there's certainly a potential of that, particularly got to be concerned with uh, with the workers that have huge interaction with the public, healthcare workers, TTC workers uh, are, are, are good examples of that. And quite frankly, police. Um, so I think there should be no question in each one of those quest, uh, cases that vaccination should be mandatory. And I think the government is taking the right approach. And if it means that we may have to have some uh, temporary curtailment of services, um, so be it. I think it's important for us to have safe services. And I also think it's important, particularly in the healthcare sector, 
for people to be respecting science and to, to ensuring that uh, people who are patients and are very vulnerable are safe. So, uh, you know, I don't think that this is um, uh, requires brain surgery. I think it's very straightforward. I think in the cases that you point out, and I think it's important to say this, nine out of 10 people, I believe it is in the TTC, you said, have gone out and, and got themselves vaccinated. And we should say thank you to those workers and the healthcare workers and the police that have done that. And uh, we should deal with the, uh, with the other 10% appropriately. Okay. And what do you think, John? Um, <clears throat> bizarrely, I echo everything that Bob just said. <laughs> I think we're, Gee, we're in complete agreement. <laughs> the question then comes down to why are we in this situation? And what do you do with those people who don't go along? And for the first time ever, talking about a charter of rights and freedoms that probably most of them have never read. And that's, that's where we are today. And as, as Bob correctly said, uh, you know, there's lots of people who can go to court. It doesn't mean they're going to win. It doesn't mean they're going anywhere. But it gives everybody else in the system pause. Uh, the court case I've been waiting for is for someone whose family member died because they went to a hospital for a non-COVID-related illness, got uh, had a contact with a hospital worker who gave them COVID. Um, I'm looking for the lawsuit that then takes the healthcare system, the hospital, the worker, their union, and holds them accountable for their actions. I mean, I find the whole thing, uh, again, especially with healthcare workers, mind-boggling. And, you know, at least in long-term care, they seem to be enforcing it finally. And and they, it was all the same arguments. You know, if they do this, they won't have enough people. And it's like, what? You won't have enough people to infect and kill your, your very vulnerable older residents. <laughs> I mean, it's... And in Quebec, you know, I, I was kind of clapping when they brought in this, they were the first to bring in this mandate, and now they're backing off. What it is, it's, it, what you're seeing is two things at once colliding. It's the worst of nimbyism, right? I, I totally have an opinion for your backyard, but not mine. And the second thing is just simple hypocrisy. Uh, being shocked that healthcare workers uh, don't abide by the science. Uh, all anybody's ever had to do is drive by a hospital and see how many people are outside smoking. <laughs> that's different. Good point. Good point. That's a that's an addiction. That's different. Uh, I'm going to take a couple of calls here. We've got Jennifer in Curtis, Ontario. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Libby. That um, you just touched on my topic. We're seniors um, into our seventies. My husband has dementia, and he is now disabled due to surgery. <clears throat> and I do pretty good, but I'm looking after him. I have to bathe him, and keep the house, etc. And I ended up in hospital last week with pains in my chest. It wasn't a heart attack, thank goodness. It was a stress. And the doctor at the hospital uh, said, I'm going to get you some help. And I said, that would be wonderful. And I had a call yesterday from an agency, uh, um, they told me that I could get a PSW to come in and bathe him. That would give me an hour to run out the grocery shop. Um, but I could not ask them whether or not they were vaccinated. And I said, well, I don't want anybody in my home that isn't vaccinated. Like, that's defeating the whole purpose of us, keeping ourselves cocooned, et cetera. Yep. And she said, we cannot ask them. It, it's a privacy issue. I said, well, what about us? You know what? You know what? I, I've been with it. I've been I've been through that before, and at the end of the day, you probably can ask them. There's no law; they can't muzzle you, and why? Uh, um, and uh, you know, they might tell you, but yes, and they finally mandated it for long-term care workers, but not for people who go into people's homes. I mean, it's. Yeah. It's, Jennifer, it's, it's mind-boggling. And the same, I called an agency to help, just with a little bit, of, excuse me, a bit of light housework. Same thing. Um, we cannot ask their people; they don't have to reveal to us if or not they are vaccinated. Some are, and some aren't. I said, I'm not. I said, cancel it. Okay. I'm well, you know what? Attempt. I'm saying, you know, they can't muzzle you. You can ask, but pretty, you pretty we well have would to have to book somebody first before you ask them. Yeah. Jennifer, so, thanks for your call. 
yeah, I mean, these these things are, are you know, uh, and I, I'm wondering about the political ramifications, but let's take another call from Bob in Mississauga. Hi, Bob. Hello, Libby. Go ahead. I, I, I've been listening. I have a small business, about 80 people. I believe in vaccines. At least 20% of my staff are not in favor of it. Wow. I've gone to a, I've gone to a lawyer. Uh, to say, what can I do? They've come back. It's very great. I can't get a definite answer. I would like to know, you know, clearly, I'd like some direction from uh, the political powers to say, yes, you can do this. We are an essential business. I want to protect people and protect my employees. I've gone and picked up test kits, and I'm trying to bring in a policy, but it is so confusing today. And there's a complete lack of direction as far as I'm concerned as to what we're able to do. Those are my comments. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, since it's being done at a city level, I can tell you that here, as people are coming back to work, there is a rule that if you're coming back to work in the office, you've got to be vaccinated. Um, And uh, I guess there are some people that are still being accommodated at home. But I don't want to contradict what your lawyer says. You have to provide a safe workplace. So uh, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place, Bob. Well, the hard place is uh, we could lose our business of 25 years oh, no. and, and have a lot of people unemployed. And my concern is doubly for their health and safety, as well as trying to keep people employed and jobs. And it becomes uh, almost, a, it's a, not almost, it's a nightmare. That's all I can say. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that, Bob. Thanks for telling us about it. Thank you for taking the call. Take care. Uh, okay. So uh, we've heard from people. I mean, that's the majority of people. Very frustrating uh, that there's any issue around this. So, John McCutcheon, what is up with the Conservative Party on this? The problem is fundamentally when you, uh, you know, provincially you were looking at a, a populist leader. So Doug Ford likes to be liked. And he wants people to like him, and he wants to only bring in laws where people will be happy. And the problem was 80% is not 100%. So there isn't anything that he can do on this issue that isn't going to have a significant minority not stand up and protest, but stand up and scream. And we saw that on the campaign trail, um, you know, we just went through federally. And the reality is, uh, the provincial government, for the most part, has been like that gentleman was just talking about, has been letting sector by sector, business by business, come to grasp with it, as opposed to passing a simple piece of legislation, which would be sweeping across every sector in Ontario. And the problem with that is, if the premier did that and solved that problem for all these business people and all these entities, uh, uh, my friend Bob here on the phone would be the first person to say overreach and maniacal and dictatorial. Would you say that, Bob? Would you say that? I'm not sure I would in a pandemic, but uh, sometime I might. So I'll I'll, I'll give John some of the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) But here, I was talking about the federal conservatives, right? And and what's going on with Aaron O'Toole and, and, um, you know... They're they're a bit of a mess on this issue. And I think a lot of this one has to do with... uh, more with internal conservative politics than it does to do with vaccine po- uh, policy. Um, I think uh, I think there are a number of conservatives who are unhappy with Mr. O'Toole and unhappy with the uh, result of the last election. And I think some of their reaction on this is manifested through this, um, the, the MPs giving them a hard time on the vaccine issue. In actual fact, Aaron O'Toole himself, to his credit, if we're going to be fair, uh, was one of the first leaders to get vaccinated, if I recall properly, and has been a strong supporter of vaccination. And he so, actually had the disease, which, you know. And and he and his wife, uh, Rebecca, both uh, both had it too as well and, and went through it. So I think he's conducted himself appropriately as a leader. I think there's a lagging element in his party that he's had to deal with. And uh, I think they're giving him a hard time. Uh, and I think part of it may be... Um, the freedom issue, but part of it may be more broadly leadership issues too, as well. Uh, John, do you think it's going to hurt your your party and and all of that? Uh, there, there's never a, 
pub, uh, there's never a family squabble that becomes public that helps the family. Right? Every <laughs> negative story. Is are, negative are we? Ta- story. We're almost talking I'm about talking Rogers here. Rogers. <laughs> well, I, but but I'm saying you know it's very similar, right? It's like if you're having the problems that we don't know about, it, then it's a great corporation. It's the same thing with a political party. Uh, I was going to say, to be fair to the liberals, it's not like there are no uh, vaccine deniers or any people really upset with their leader either. But they have a discipline where when the prime minister, as leader, says, this is what we're doing, I really don't care what you're, or maybe I care about what you think, but I'm. this is what we're doing. He doesn't. They all fall <laughs> into line. And when the conservatives do that, uh, you get people who, at a principle, object to that. So the conservative party is much more prone to having um, space in public, sadly, for differences of opinion on policy. Uh, You know, we go to where we are today. The Conservative Caucus, I think it was yesterday, uh, basically ratified and said yes to all the House rules, yes to to all the things that that relate to them directly. But it didn't get there without going through an agonizing process and lots of stuff in the media and MPs speaking out individually and waiting to see what was going to happen at that caucus meeting. And that's just kind of the nature of the Conservative Party. And then, and you know, most of us are of two minds. We don't like it when we have a leader who will tell us what we're thinking, and we don't like it when we have a leader who's weak enough to let us speak <laughs> our minds. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Now, I'm sorry, I can't resist, Bob. Since we just threw out that whole Rogers thing, you have worked with John Tory. His last comment about being involved in this, to me, he sounded very upset. Um, and he said he's, he's declared every contact, he, he, uh, conflict. He's told, he told everybody from the beginning that he would continue in this Rogers role. But I mean, we're at a point where, you know, it's a water cooler conversation. People are debating whether or not he's in conflict. And, uh, you got to think that that's not a good place for the mayor to be. Well, no, it's, it's not a good place. And I don't think anybody would pretend that it is. I will say, because I, I was in on the meeting seven years ago when he got elected mayor, uh, he he brought this to the conflict commissioner right away before he took office. He has received approval uh, that he could continue on that committee. He had to declare, she made it very clear at the time that he had to declare any conflicts related to, uh, to Rogers. They've been pretty meticulous about that, I'm told, over the last uh, seven years doing that. But I think a lot of people forgot, to be quite honest, that that had happened at the beginning of his term. And then all of a sudden, because of the dust up in the family, and he's showing up at meetings, people are going, what's he doing on this Rogers board? And I, I kind of understand that. It hasn't been front and center. But but the mayor has followed all the procedures. He has declared a conflict uh, on any vote that came up uh, or any issue that's come up related to, to Rogers. And he did follow the, the procedures properly with the uh, with the uh, um, ethics commissioner uh, at the beginning of the process too, as well. Right, but that was then. This is now. There's also an appearance of conflict, and 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 the thing that I see there, by my count, he could have the deciding vote on the whole thing. I mean, is that the the right spot for the mayor of of Toronto, John? Do you have a view of this? Yeah, I, I mean that this is another one of those that isn't as simple as it looks. Um, John Tory is not has is not and has not been acting unethically. He has been acting legally. Now you get into the question of has he been acting morally and is he acting according to expectations? Well, that's far murkier. Um, you know, people at other levels of office, uh, not just municipal, but when you have other people, if they're not cabinet ministers, they have the ability to have other jobs on the side or other businesses. And part of that is, uh, you know, dealing with Tory specifically, uh, people don't really want to calculate how big a pay cut John Tory took to run for mayor. Now, and I'm going to declare my uh, thing here. Uh, I have uh, been a fan and supporter of John's, and I have also not been. And I wouldn't uh, give him a 100% clean bill of health on, on ethics. But let's be clear on this. He has made a huge personal sacrifice in the way of money for himself and his family to be a public official. And when it comes to getting a dollar, 
there, I don't believe for a second that John Tory is getting anything that hasn't been fully reported. Now, the question becomes, if people don't like those rules, then they should change them. But you really can't complain about someone who takes great pains, as Bob would know better than I, great pains to follow the rules and then say, hey, what are you doing following the rules? Okay. Well, uh, again, you know, what what struck me, and I think he's a very honorable guy, but what struck me is that there are all these debates now, and um, uh, I think that's a problem. The, the worst well, part, Libby, is going to be, I expect John to run again, but many friends who know better than I tell me he won't run. And if John Tory does not run for re-election, sadly, this puts a cloud over his term as mayor, and there will be far too many people that believe that the reason he does not run for re-election would because of this very issue. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree with you on that point, John. And I don't think the mayor has made up his mind. I took a talk to him on this topic just a, a few weeks ago, and uh, he's been pretty consumed with the pandemic. He's starting to swing around and look at uh, the political uh, now because it's obviously 12 months before the before the next vote. I will say, Libby, I think where there's some legitimacy in what you're saying is, um, I think it, it, it was one, it's one thing when it's a quiet, sleepy trust, when it's at the center of a massive, you know, political and business controversy. Um, does that context change, and does that make it more difficult uh, for him uh, to do the duties that he agreed to do with Ted Rogers? and that have been approved by the ethics commissioner. And that's really something for the mayor to take a look at and decide whether he can do that or not. Okay. Uh, we're out of time on this, and and people out there, uh, I'm going to throw this out tomorrow on Free For All Friday. Uh, see what you think. And and again, you know, I wasn't suggesting that he's behaving unethically because I, I, I don't think he does, but I think this is a problem. Uh, and uh, thanks so much to John McIntyre and Bob Richardson. Thanks, Libby. Okay. Pleasure being with you. Thank you. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk to the city's associate medical officer of health. The city is setting up clinics. You'll be able to get high dose, which seems to be again in short supply at the moment. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. While we are on the subject of vaccines, let's talk flu shots. Now, in previous years, there have been issues with supply of the high-dose vaccine for people over 65. And last week, we told you about the first shipments that had arrived in doctor's offices and pharmacies. And when we had that chat, supply was good. But within days, we started checking for you and everyone we called seemed to be out really quickly. And now they all seem to be waiting for the next shipment, which I gather either comes from uh, some a pharmacy distribution or from public health. Well, now another source is about to come on stream. Residents can now book their appointments for a flu shot at one of five city mass vaccination sites here in Toronto. Uh, and the high dose will be available there. So numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'd like to know, did you get yours? Are you trying to get one? Uh, I'm now joined by Dr. Vanita Dubey, Toronto's Associate Medical Officer of Health. Dr. Dubey, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, um, uh, first question, uh, I gather you'll be having a good supply of high-dose flu vaccine in these clinics. Yes, we're certainly prepared. Uh, the clinics are going to run for next week. I actually booked my own family in as well, too. Uh, they'll have uh, vaccines available from down to six months of age, uh, up until as old as you are. And the seniors will be getting the high-dose uh, flu vaccine there. And okay, so now you can you can make your appointment now. When do the clinics start? 
They start uh, next week, and uh, so they run they run through the week, including on the weekend. So, what what's the date? Because I had seen, I thought they didn't start till uh, middle of the month. No, they start the beginning of November, actually, and. Um, so the, the first week, uh, the appointments are booked there. They're at uh, four main sites. Really, people will recognize the sites. They're where we have been pro- providing the COVID vaccines. So they're taking a break from COVID vaccines and school-based vaccines and providing flu vaccines next week. So do you want to go over that with us? Uh, where are the locations? Is the convention, Metro Convention Centre, right? Metro Convention Centre, Cloverdale Mall, Scarborough Town Centre, Mitchell Field. Um, and I believe Woodmine Mall as well, too. And I remember when you first started offering uh, COVID vaccine shots at those locations, there were some issues. Where do people wait? Um, Were they distanced? Were they out in the cold? So what's the situation now that we're in a bit of a better spot in terms of COVID? Oh, these clinics, uh, I mean, I think, most people find that the Toronto Public Health Clinics are certainly very well organized. And these clinics essentially have been operating for, for many, many months. Um, and now it'll be the same location. So the same setup that we had even for the COVID vaccines, including ensuring that you have ample space to wait after your vaccination where you're physically distanced. It will be the same um, setup for the flu vaccines as well. So you'll be physically distanced inside. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. And um, how many people do you expect to uh, vaccinate there? Like how many people do you go through in a day? How many appointments are there in a day? Well, it depends on the site. And so you'll see when you go to book an appointment that some sites offer more, like, for example, the Metro Convention Center is a much larger site compared to some of the other sites. So that determines, it's really uh, the capacity of the space that determines how many um, appointments are available on those days or at that site. And But certainly uh, ready and able to vaccinate thousands uh, in the coming week. But I think it's also important to know, I mean, as you had had. Stated. I mean, Toronto Public Health is not the only place to get a vaccine at our clinics, right? And so the pharmacies, doctor's offices, even workplaces are also um, available for, for providing vaccine clinics. And well, certainly at least the doctor's offices get their supply from public health. So I know when we were uh, talking to some doctors, uh, their first shipment, they got a third of what they got the previous year. Do you have any information on when the next shipment is coming from, is coming? Yeah, so it's usually quite typical where we don't give them all the vaccines up front. Uh, part of it is because it takes time to actually go through the vaccines. Some of it is also logistics for how big is the fridge uh, at the doctor's office. But then they can also order more based on their own uh, supply and demand in their clinic as well. And then usually the shipments are, are quite regular on a weekly or biweekly basis for sure. Um I think, you know, you had mentioned earlier about the high-dose vaccine. I think another important point for this flu season is uh, Fluad is a new vaccine that has been added. And it is, uh, it's not exactly a high-dose vaccine. Like the high-dose vaccine is four times the amount of the typical vaccine as is given to 65+. plus. Fluad is what we called it adjuvanted vaccine. So, and it's for 65 plus as well too. And it essentially has an immune booster to the vaccine. And it's also been proven to, to give uh, more immunity to uh, seniors. And so that's another option if the high dose vaccine is not available. Okay. It's called Fluad. And, uh, and could you have any com- comparator? I mean, I, I think uh, the high dose boosts your your immunity by 20% over the regular or something like that? What does this flu ad do? We don't really know. There haven't been any head-to-head comparisons, right, between the high dose and the flu ad. But because the flu ad has, it's called an adjuvant in the vaccine, uh, and it actually helps to stimulate the immune response. We know with the flu vaccine, sometimes you don't get the best immune response. And so it helps to stimulate the immune response to give that that uh, better protection. And so some studies have certainly shown, uh, you know, less hospitalization, those kinds of uh, improvements with using this vaccine in seniors. 
so adjuvant to me means it comes after. So is this, it's a, it's, it's a, an extra, sh- I, I don't. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No. So an adjuvant just means an addition to the, it's inside the vaccine. Okay. It, it, it's, um, uh, AGSO4. So it's like an aluminum sulfate and it's actually just, uh, aluminum is seen actually to boost the immune response. So it is actually something that is added to the vaccine has been studied to be safe, but by adding it into the vaccine with the vaccine components can actually give you that immune booster. And wait a minute, and that's in the regular flu shot? That's in the Fluad vaccine. Okay, that's a, that's a third kind then, right? Uh, yeah, the third one, yeah. Okay. Um, I had no idea about that. So uh, we learned something important here. And uh, when people and that go- is new this year, just to say like that is the you know, that is new this year that's being offered in Ontario. And part of it, I think, is in response to the fact that there wasn't enough of the high dose vaccine last year. So it's really to be able to provide seniors with, you know, a, a better protective vaccine um, if the high dose isn't available. Uh, uh, and w- if you go there, will you get your choice of fluad or high dose, or it's just uh, if there's no more high dose, uh, they'll give you fluad? You know, it's always better to uh, call wherever you're going for you- to the clinic to see what is available there, uh, because some of it is going to be uh, very dynamic based on you know what the Ontario pharmacy receives and what they can send out to all of the different clinics as well. Okay. Well, good to know. Is there anything else uh, that you would like to leave us with on this? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to know that, you know, for those who uh, are eligible for a booster dose, for example, they have a weakened immune system, they're eligible for that third COVID vaccine, they can actually get it at the same time as getting uh, the flu vaccine. So that is safe. And so um, that's something to also consider to consider getting at the same time as well. I think the other piece is that we certainly want to see high vaccination rates. We saw them last year and we certainly want to see it again this year because, uh, you know, we're really bracing for a bad flu season and we know that COVID is also out there and we want to be able to prevent as much infection and illness and hospitalization as we can. Okay. Um, very good information. Thank you very much for that, Dr. Vanita Dubay. You're welcome. Okay. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Free for All Friday is coming up tomorrow. And of course, that's the day where we talk about what you want to talk about. And we'll delve into some of the things that we've been discussing all week here, as well as other things. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.